Today's scripture reading is from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 11. Have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as a discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone in, undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while, we thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. This is the word of the Lord. Our Lord, we uh, thank you, Father, for just your abundant goodness and mercy, Lord. You're so good to us. And I pray, Father, thank you for your word, and we pray that um, you would speak to our hearts and you'd give each one of us that thing we need to hear today. We want to hear from you. In the name of Jesus, amen. So well, <clears throat> a few months ago, during my sabbatical, the Lord kind of uh, chastened me or corrected me on something. And... Um, and then let me let me warn you. It's a it, the thing particularly is somewhat political. Uh, this is not a political sermon. So I know that'll be a disappointment to others and a relief to some, but this is not not what it is. But this particular this is just something God poked me about that I was wrong about. Um, and let me just probably give a little context. I tend to be by nature contrarian. You know, if everyone really wants to do something and everyone kind of rushes to think this is a great idea, I'm generally the person who begins poking holes in it. It doesn't matter if it's coming from this side or this side. I tend to like to disagree with everything. Just kind of, I'm not recommending it. It's just kind of how I am. Dan's like, I don't ever see you do that. But tend to be like that. So having said that, one of the ways it's manifesting itself or had been was, you know, this, the big movement to, you know, remove statues all over the place. And I mean, like, I'm, sometimes I kind of go, now, oh, come on. Yeah, I think it, it feels very reactive to me. It feels like you're doing this. You're not getting proper historical context oftentimes. And you're just not, you know, and I, and I don't like sometimes we view, review history, too. You know, from the, you kind of, you know, arrogantly look that we're in the, in the light moment and everyone's been ignorant throughout this, you know, time. And we're going to look out there and decide where they were all wrong. We don't put it in proper context. Anyway, this is all, you know. And again, I think it's somewhat foolish because I think if you're, you know, whenever you're kind of judging all of history through your enlightened moment, guess what? You're going to be judged 10 years later. You know, so it's just, it's not a good way to be. So all, all that to say, and again, if you disagree with me, that's fine because I realized the Lord was poking out something I was wrong about. So anyway, so I was in Memphis um, 
few months ago doing a, uh, what do you call it, just a you know, city walk, and one of those like walking tours, and we came to a place where a uh, statue was taken down in Memphis. And I have to admit that inside I had a slight eye roll. I thought, okay, you know, who's, you know, and, and feeling it's somewhat this kind of self, you know, but self-righteous, what is, everyone's going to feel good about themselves, you know, that's sometimes I get a little cynical about these things. And then they said the statue was Jefferson Davis. I thought, Jefferson Davis had a prominent statue in Memphis. I thought, was he a really important figure in Memphis? Was this, you know, statue from before the Civil War that the President of the Confederacy has a statue in Memphis? And uh, so we asked, you know, when, was, when did this statue go up? And by the way, I immediately went back and researched this to confirm <laughs> the exact circumstances because, the, uh, frankly, the date shocked me. The, Jefferson, the statue of Jefferson Davis it went up in a prominent place in Memphis in 1964. 1964. I thought, are you... I was like, are you, are you serious? I mean, I, honestly, I was like, almost like, I w it took my breath away. I thought, are you, are you kidding? I honestly didn't think it was possible. Like, how did that happen? How did, I mean, 1964, talking about a historical context. Yeah, there was a very much a historical context to putting up this statue. It was the Civil Rights Movement. Remember, just a few years later, MLK was shot in Memphis. You know, and I thought, oh my goodness. And you look it up, and then the group that put it up was the Daughters of the Confederacy. And I thought, wow, yeah, there, is a, there was a purpose, and there was a historical context to putting this statue up, and I was horrified by it. And then I was horrified the fact that it had stood for 50 years, over 50 years, in a prominent place in Memphis. And, yeah, it communicated something, didn't it, to the people of Memphis, walking by that statue. And then I was horrified because um, <laughs> at myself and horrified that uh, I was guilty of the very thing that I was assuming. I was the one who was very quick to judge. I was the one who was ignorant. I was the one who didn't take any time to really understand the historical context. And I was just like, I can't, you know. And, and, and here's the thing is, nobody on earth knew it. There's not one person who knew what was happening in my head when that whole thing happened. No one knew what I was, on the, there was only one who knew, wasn't there? God. God knew very well exactly what was going on and what was happening. And he was the only one I could speak to and confess to and ask forgiveness of seek repentance for and afterwards I did go and speak to a couple people who I thought I should confess to that I was wrong about something and I've gone and spoken to them but um, as, as grievous as it was and as sad as it was to realize gosh I was so wrong on this it was actually also remarkably comforting you know because you know to be there's something just come, like God's going to lead and guide. You know, how many times do you pray? You say, God, show me where I'm wrong. God, help me see that. If I'm thinking something or doing something wrong, Lord, I want to know it. And when God shows it to you, it's an amazing comfort. You know, today, um, 
we're uh, continuing in our series. This is my, I don't have my thing, so Naomi is my PowerPoint. Um, continuing our series in Foundations of Faith in the book of Zephaniah. And it's mostly going in this one verse from uh, chapter 3, where uh, Israel is being condemned for these four different things. You know, it says, you obey no one, which as we talked about last week, listen, Shema, you don't listen to anybody, you won't receive correction. You don't trust God, and you don't draw near to God. And I think there is really the foundations of our faith, isn't it? <laughs> to listen and obey, to receive correction, to trust him, and to draw near to him. And so we're actually going to be walking through these things from Zephaniah uh, over the next number of weeks. We talked about last week about hearing, listening to God, obeying him. And today we're talking about why is receiving correction so important? And as again, I said from before, you know, this is not a sermon, a political sermon or about racism or anything like that. Um, that was what God put his finger on in me. I'm not sure what God's going to put his finger on in your heart. But, you know, our walk with God is critical. A critical part of our walk with God and everyone's walk with God is to be able to receive correction. So we're going to talk about what does it mean to receive correction? Why is it so important to our walk with God? What are some of the ways it happens in our life? And um, why is it ultimately such a comfort and a strength which emboldens us? So what is correction? Why is it so important? And why is it actually something ultimately that makes us bolder in life? So what is correction to start with? So correction is, um, this isn't, it's a, the verb, the attached verb, to correct, and the noun correction, you don't put it up yet, it's okay, is um, within the realm of instruction in scripture, all over the place. Very important word, very important idea. And the idea is like when a teacher instructs the chi you know, child, and correction's a natural part in which a, you know, a, a student is being instructed. So it's very much like it's all over the place in Proverbs, just to give a few of these examples. You know, the fear of the Lord's the beginning of knowledge. We know these kind of in the beginning of wisdom, and it says, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. That word is correction. Same thing, instruction, discipline, correction. There, it's all those uh, similar words there. Whoever loves discipline, or loves, you know, loves knowledge, and here's the inverse parallel, but whoever hates correction is stupid. Isn't that nice when the Bible uses such good words like that? And that really is stupid there really has the idea of like an animal. You know, that's kind of, a, you know, just like you're just unthinking. You know, and it says those who hate correction are just stupid. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. Listen to advice and accept discipline or correction. And at the end, you'll be counted among the wise. You know, so why are these things so important? Is this is the way you learn anything, right? You don't come into this world with all knowledge, right? Or all abilities to do everything. You want to learn to do anything. You want to learn about anything. Correction and discipline is part of the process by which you learn and grow, right? You know this is so instinctively with everything in life. And God says this is the critical thing and how we want to walk in this world as his followers is cor accepting correction is a key piece of it. This is when it says uh, in, I love in Job, it says, uh, blessed is the one whom God corrects. What a great line. Now, what's interesting about this one is um, this is Job's friends who said to Job, 
blessed is the one who corrects, which is great so you understand that sometimes your friends aren't always on top of it exactly. Because they were correctly, they were correct here that you're right, this is an incredible principle. Blessed is the one who God corrects, yet their interpretation of why Job was suffering so badly <laughs> was wrong. <laughs> they thought it was a correction from God, but in some ways only Job could understand what was really happening there. But they were right that blessed is the one whom God corrects because that's who he's trying to, what's he trying to do, right? He's trying to love, care, and grow you up and show you when you've done things wrong. And we have a res resistance to it, don't we? And the scripture many times, you see uh, in Jeremiah a lot, right? The, he's the contemporary of Zephaniah. And you'll see the same thing Zephaniah is kind of attacking right here with the idea of correction is all over Jeremiah also. Yeah, you know, they says, uh, yet they did not listen or pay attention, speaking of the people of Israel. They were stiff-necked and would not listen or respond to discipline or correction here. They wouldn't. They were stiff-necked. They turned their backs to me and not their faces. Though I taught them again and again, they would not listen or respond to discipline. Right, so God is seeking to correct Israel, bring them back to him, show them where they're doing wrong, but they are stiff-necked. They don't even want to hear him. They're turning their back to them, turning their back. It's a, it's a really powerful image. And in Zephaniah, the passage, you know, this is what we're talking about. He goes on and talks a little bit about that correction piece. It says, of Jerusalem, I thought, surely you'll fear me and accept correction. Then her place of refuge would not be destroyed, nor all my punishments come upon her. They were still, but they were still eager to act corruptly in all they did. And just look at that thing. So, so God's thing towards, he's not actually angry in a sense of, of, of them doing wrong. He goes, I will correct them. Right, this is how I walk with them. They're going wrong. I correct them. Then they go okay. You know, then it becomes fine. They're not going to be judged or punished or anything like that. That's God's desire. Right? We talked about that, that you know, the day of the Lord. Judgment is God's unusual act. It's nothing he desires to do. He wants them to turn from their ways. But they won't. And, I, and that phrase is really kind of a haunting one. They were eager to act corruptly in all they did. They wanted to keep on doing what they were doing. And that's why they wouldn't receive it. And that's one of the, these key ideas. You know, why, you know, why would we not want to receive it? You know, why, why not receive that correction from God? If God's looking to grow us up, to train us, to, to help us. And, uh, you know, as it says, the scriptures have many different explanations in there. You know, they were foolish. They were stiff-necked in there. Here they acted corruptly in all they did. Um, if you go to the next thing, he says, like in Psalms, it says, you hate my instruction. You cast my words behind you. You know, maybe it's our will. We're acting corruptly, and we just want to do this, and we don't want to do what God says. You know, we're, in a sense, we hate our instruction. And remember, in the scripture, you tend to love or hate things. There's not this middle thing. Love is to follow and hate to go. So if you're ignoring God, you're hating it. You're hating his instruction. And look in Jeremiah. This one, it says, um, Lord, do not your eyes look for truth you struck you struck them but they felt no pain you crushed them but they actually refused crush correction so there were actual consequences in which god was using as a means of correction here they made their faces harder than stone and refused to repent and it meant like the image of like their face like flint and it's an interesting thing your face is sort of like what how you encounter something so sometimes like when your face is soft, it actually can be a negative thing because it means like you're easily offended. 
you know, that idea that you take what they say so seri- you know, too seriously. And you have a hard heart, you don't care, that, you know, that kind of thing. You should have a soft heart. And a, it would actually say in our walk with God, a, 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 a hard face, actually, in many ways, is good. Jesus' face was like flint, enduring the suffering and the hardship. He was able to walk it. But here, their face is like flint in <laughs> the face of God's correction. In the face of God trying to stop them and get them to stop doing it, they're going, no. And they're just marching forward. I mean, I think you see this kind of stuff, and I mean, this isn't a sermon about why we don't receive it, but I think all of us know that what that pride feels like, don't we? That self-will, that refusal to receive correction from others, because it takes a humility, and it's hard, isn't it? And there's something inside you that just like, like builds up and says, no way. But we have to, you know, sort of the line, the word today is that, you know, God is, there's a reason why he exhorts us to receive it because instinctively we often don't and we don't want to. And he says, don't, don't be like that. In the the passage that uh, Zach read earlier in the book of Hebrews, you know, it's, it's, it's using this father-son language from Proverbs and he's just, and it's saying, listen, if, his discipline is a sign of his, his uh, love for us, his, father, his parenthood over us, his fathership over us. He says, my son, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. So it's the sense in which God's correction is a sign of, uh, of his love for you. And I think, and that was, I said, was so comforting, you know, back in Memphis in some ways. It was the feeling of my sonship, that God loves me enough to step in my way and say, that's not right, as much as that hurts. And, uh, and he says, you know, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, <laughs> but painful. Later on, however, produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. You know, this is this uh, amazing um, truth that God is like a parent who loves us. We need the training. You know, we need that. Uh, we need the discipline. We need the correction. Oftentimes when you're correct and you feel like you've done something wrong, what's one of your first thoughts sometimes? It's condemnation, isn't it? And you feel so rotten that, that you've done it. But looking at verses like this, is that what's looking for? Condemnation? No, there's an idea in which correction is this natural thing. It's the farthest thing from condemnation because it's an affirmation of God's love for you. It's very much like, you know, how much do I love you so much? What can you do to make me stop? Nothing. That's what God's saying to us. But also God's saying, because I love you and you're doing, if you're going like this, I'm going to say, no. And in a, in a, in a, a, we don't know what we're doing, right? We we have to learn things, but also we're in a broken world and broken bodies. Are you going to be wrong? Yes, and frequently. <laughs> you know, <laughs> frequent, it, it's not the unusual act for us to be wrong about something. It's honestly, it's not the unusual thing that you should not be seeing this correctly. It's not the unusual thing that you should be stubborn about something or prideful. It's not unusual. It's normal. And God loves you, and that's why he's going to try to correct you. 
And you might say, well, and the question's kind of begged, right? Um, well, and uh, I don't know if you go to the next one. Is it blank? I think so. Yeah. Um, what are some of the forms this discipline takes, right? That's why you're running. You know, I'm talking about God's discipline. How, what, what, what does this actually look like practically in our lives? Well, just going down some of the methods in Scripture, just to bounce it down. You know, right here we're talking about Zephaniah. So what are the, some of the things hap- we've read about, we've seen already? You know, one were, uh, you know, a prophetic word, a prophet speaking. And that was something that was one of God's common methods. You know, Israel begins to stray. He raises up someone who speaks to them and says, what you're doing is wrong. Other times it was consequences. There were real things that kind of happened in your life. There were things that happened that should show, you know, they go, wow, this is, and, you know, sometimes you'd have to, like, bring them to their knees so they finally say, oh, God, we have been so wrong. And there are times like that. I think we all can think of times that there have been circumstances in our life that it took for us to finally go, oh. <laughs> you know, we couldn't, we couldn't hear the wisdom. We couldn't hear this. Finally something happens, and you go, oh, man, I was wrong. There were times when, um, remember King David actually had, it was Prophet Nathan, but it was more like, a, almost like a friend and a counselor came to him and pointed out his sin to him with Bathsheba. You are the man, David. You did this. You know, there were times in uh, the New Testament, remember Paul stands up in a, in a public thing in the church and tells Peter what you're doing is wrong and that you're refusing to eat with Gentiles, right? He says, you are wrong. But there are other times, like in Matthew 18, where it says, hey, if your brother's sinning, what do you do? You go up to him and you, you talk to him one-on-one. If he won't receive it, bring another, bring some people along. Eventually bring them to the leadership of the church. You know, church discipline, you know, if people come along. That's all these peep through people. A lot of times, the, once one of the key ways, I think, which God corrects us, it's the word of God, right? The scripture itself. If you want to go to the next, I mean, here's in Hebrew 12, uh, I mean, Hebrews 4, verse 12 and 13. It says, the word of God is uh, active, is a living and active. I love uh, that translation. It's alive and active. It's good. Sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates in divi- into, even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That's what I had judged that day. Thoughts and attitude of my heart. Not right, buddy. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The word of God is like a knife which slices it. But what applies all these different things is the spirit of God in us. The Holy Spirit is what ultimately works in our conscience that takes those conse- you know, takes the consequences, takes the words, brings them to effect in our lives. And keep in mind, just because someone um, corrects you about something, it doesn't necessarily mean they're right, right? Job's friend was not right. But uh, that's part of the application of God's spirit. You know, that he's going to take this thing and this flawed thing, but he could take it and correct you as you need to be corrected. So you might say, um, and we can, you know, uh, still, okay, good. Um, how do I know if my heart is open to correction? Because that's really the key piece, right? It's not about feeling condemnation or feeling love. So it's not about, that's not the horrible thing, but you ask yourself, how do I know if my heart is open to receive correction from God? So let me ask you a question. When is the last time you felt corrected by God about something? stop and think for a moment 
if you actually can't think of anything, any time when you felt like I was really corrected and had to change, you know, God really spoke to me about it, and that was not right, then you may have your answer <laughs> about how open you are. Because if we're honest with ourselves, we, again, we're always going to be off. We're always going to need training. We're always going to need discipline. And it should be something that's ultimately comforting and not, you know, painful, right? I mean, in many ways, um, I was talking about on the sailboat with Dan earlier. You know, when we sit off in a boat right across the lake, you know, it's not that you know the exact direction that boat's going to go, right? You kind of know where you want to get to. But then the boat needs perpetual correction, right? Waves, wind, uh, you know, tides, everything's happening. But so it's under perpetual correction to get there. That's how our lives are supposed to be. And it's not some evil thing when, it, when a boat corrects. It's not, oh, we've done so terribly. No, you correct. Correct, this is where you're going. And that's how we are in our life, where it's not this big condemnation piece. You just realize that if I want to get over there, it's going to be bumped here, bumped there, and actually, you know, some, it feels such a comfort that you're being bumped. Thank you for a friend who tells you the truth, the painful truth sometimes, huh? When a friend comes along and says, buddy, you know, I love you, but that was what you said there. It just wasn't right. It's a great thing. You know, you should hug. You have those friends in your life who say those things to you? You should go give them a hug and thank them. Oftentimes, we're, we, we oftentimes don't have, don't have such a problem correcting other people. But that's not what this, this is not about being more aggressive in your correcting, okay? <laughs> this is about the spiritual discipline of receiving it, gladly and thankfully. You know, of being able to say, and because the big thing is, you ask yourself is, God, am I really open to it? You ask yourself, am I, am I open to changing course? Am I open to receiving words from, you know, do people around me consider, you know, consider me someone they can come to if they have an issue with me? Do they feel, you know, do, have I welcomed them? Do I welcome that to those around me? You know, am I able to, and keep in mind, again, someone may say something to you that may be totally off. You don't have to accept what they say. But as I, there's, I can't remember, I wish I could remember the preacher who said it. He was being attacked for something, and he sent a letter thanking the other person, not sarcastically, that you've, you've, you gave me an opportunity to really open up my heart before God and to test it. You know, which, were, was this right? Do they, you know, because usually when people say stuff, let me tell you, there's usually some element in there that you can own. And for that, you benefit. Even if 90% is wrong, that's okay. You don't have to. But, you know, if, if God can speak to you about that a little bit and you ask yourself, is your heart open to receive? Are you open to ask God? When, you, when someone comes to you with something or some circumstances, are you willing to say, Lord, if I'm not thinking about this right, show me. And we need to see that correction is a mercy from God. That we are his children, we fall, we stumble, and God in his mercy and love comes alongside and corrects us and helps us. And we should receive it as such. And sadly, I'm not always sure that this is the, the spiritual discipline Christians are most well known for. You know, they're all, that, that's, a, that's a people group who really change course easily and are willingly received to understand when they're wrong. But let's make sure that's what can be said about us. Amen. But Lord, we, we thank you, Lord.
that you love us and don't leave us to our own, that we don't have to stumble in this world having it all together, knowing everything to begin with, Lord, that we can actually go forth with great boldness. We can sin boldly, even as Martin Luther said, knowing, Father, that you will guide our path and you will lead us. And give us that, uh, that boldness in life to be able to walk forward. And if we have our hearts open, Lord, we can know that you'll be with us, that you will guide us. And when we're wrong, you'll show us. Just uh, pray, Lord, in your spirit, poke us and give us open hearts that we might be receptive like that in all ways. We bless you and praise you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen.